You may be seated. Let us join in a prayer for illumination, that God would illuminate his word and truth to us this morning. Eternal God, you are the great author and perfecter of our faith. So may your wonderful truth speak to us and guide our lives this morning. May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and stir within us a deep passion and desire for your word. Amen. Our scripture text is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. For once you are darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times, and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week we focused on the assurance of forgiveness that we often say each and every week uh, as a part of our worship service. And my point was ultimately that, you know, this world doesn't guarantee or assure us of very much, if anything at all, maybe except death and taxes, as Benjamin Franklin noted. But God assures us of eternity through Christ, and that for us is everything. That assurance we have is rock solid. Nothing can jeopardize it. Nothing, as Paul says in Romans, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now as forgiven people, assured of God's forgiveness through Christ, we are led forward then into a new life in Christ which is what we are going to focus on today. My sermon title today is Living in the Light of the Sun. What does it mean to live in the light of the sun? I know it's summertime or almost summertime, and so living in the light of the sun, S-U-N, means putting on sunscreen and going outside and sweating a lot probably. You know, it's Houston after all. But in this case, I mean living in the light of the sun, S-O-N. To that point, as a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to live in the light of the sun? Well, first I'll say right off the bat that I'm sure each person here could give some kind of answer to that question, or I hope you could. It doesn't have to be deeply theological, but I hope that every one of us could say something about being a follower of Jesus that is unique to, well, being a follower of Jesus Our new lives in Christ is what the Apostle Paul strives to explain in many of his letters in the New Testament, and his letter to the Ephesians is no exception. 
It may be one of the best examples of it. And, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to take one of Paul's letters and kind of pick up halfway through or later on in the letter because he is, after all, writing a letter, and the letter has a, has a flow to it. He's building on a stream of thought. You know, there's no table of contents to his letters. Just like our, I hope you don't write a letter to someone and begin with a table of contents. If you're doing that, you need to send that to a publisher, not your friend. So Paul is writing a, a letter. You know, he's not writing this point by point, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, even though in our Bibles we have chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, you know. But that's not what he's doing. So to pick up later in a letter is kind of hard sometimes because he's been building on ideas and thoughts uh, all along. But many of Paul's letters follow a general pattern, um, so to say. They begin theological and they end with practical, meaning that Paul usually begins his letter with a theological groundwork, explaining the significance of the gospel, and then he moves into a practical application of that reality. So said another way, he gives the the so what, you know, because this, so what? So how does the theological gospel message apply to us in our lives today Well, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he starts with, again, it's it's one of the greatest expositions of the gospel. And there's so much I'd like to read here, but I'm not. We don't have time to cover it all this morning, but I encourage you to just add Ephesians to your reading list. But in chapter 2, Paul reminds the Ephesians of how their lives have been transformed um, in a spiritual sense. He reminds them of their previous position and how God through Jesus, has given them the gift of grace, the gift of faith, the gift of mercy and forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life. So let's look at verses 3 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. He says, "All, All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of the flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. I'll start here in this passage in chapter 2, because notice how Paul describes our prior position. That we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. And now notice how Paul's phrasing in our text today in in, uh, Ephesians 5.8 He says, for once you are darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light. There's a dichotomy he presents is that, you know, once we lived in darkness, but now in the Lord we are light. Once we were children of wrath, and now we are children of light. Let's dig in more. Let's dig into what it means to be the light. Because this is a great theme that really runs throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. So to begin, let's first talk about the light of God. God's presence is associated with light. 
In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And in the Old Testament, God's presence is often associated with the light of of fire. He was the torch that appeared to Abraham, the burning bush to Moses, the pillar of fire that led the Israelites out of Egypt, the fire on Mount Sinai. And in the New Testament, John simply says in his epistle, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This idea, this theme of light represents God's presence, it represents God's power, as well as God's purity and God's holiness. Light represents also God's peace and favor and blessing to his people. In Numbers 6, God gives these words to Moses to then give to Aaron and the priest as a blessing for his people. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. God's blessing to the people is represented by the light of God's face shining upon them and being gracious to them and giving them peace. It's kind of this happy, sunny day kind of feeling, hopefully like today might be, when all is well. Life is good. God is good. It's like what Psalm 4-6 says, There are many who say, Oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. Being in God's light is a place of blessing. However, the flip side of that is that God's wrath is often expressed as God hiding his face hiding his light, meaning that God is withholding his blessing and favor. And if God is hiding the light of his face from his people, it means that they're in a a spiritual darkness. Deuteronomy 32, Moses said, then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their, or what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. In Job, Job says, why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? David says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. And the prophets, too, pick up on this. And just one example from Ezekiel 39, God says, so I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries. There's, there's many occurrences of this in the Old Testament. I just kind of wanted to give a, a snippet from kind of each part of the Old Testament to say that it runs throughout, that God shining the light of his face upon the Israelites was symbolic of God's presence with them, God's favor, and God's blessing. Well, for us, there is no greater human representative of God than Jesus, so let's briefly now talk about the light of Christ. Jesus, too, was associated with light, and John really emphasizes this in his gospel. Even the first few verses of his gospel say, what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And later, Jesus even says of himself twice, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As we noted last week in Hebrews, um, it began saying, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory 
Actually, that word for reflection is actually radiance. It's brightness. Jesus is the brightness and radiance. Jesus is the light of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus is the light. Well, and the third and last thing I'll note here, just to kind of complete the Trinity, is that the Spirit of God and the Word of God is light. The Holy Spirit is a light unto us. The Holy Spirit guides us, and it lights us forward into God's will. We believe that the Spirit illuminates God's truth for us. That's why before each sermon, we begin with a prayer for illumination, that the Holy Spirit would would light up God's Word for us, would place it in our hearts and move us by God's Word to make it truth for us and speak to our hearts. God's Word, too, is a light for us. Proverbs 6.23, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, or the well-known Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. No, but there's one more thing that is the light, and that is those who have put their trust in Christ. It is the saints, God's holy ones, His royal priesthood, the church, you, If your faith is in Christ, God's light is in you. And it's important to note that our light is actually not of our own creation. It's God's light in us. We didn't produce it. And that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. So live as children of the light. You are light, so live like it, he says. Live a life worthy of your status and your calling in Christ. And Paul goes into more detail. He says, In the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Sleeper, awake. He's saying, wake up. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Rise and shine, you saints of the Lord. Leave that old life behind. Wake up, rise and shine. Well, I want to offer three means for living in the light of Christ. Basically, three areas of focus for our lives of faith. And, and I don't really like that term, lives of faith, because really that should be our whole life. But three areas of focus as we think faithfully, as we think spiritually. And those three things are piety, purity, and purpose. You know, you know, you don't have a good sermon until you get a little alliteration in, in your points. So, piety, purity, and purpose. Piety. And don't reduce this to just rule following. By piety, I mean presenting yourself in an attitude of worship. It's showing reverence and honor before God, not just at church, not just today, not just Sunday mornings, but every day, at all times. It is having a sincere and reverent love for God. Piety is is more about a posture of consciously living every single day for the glory of God. It is submitting ourselves to the rightful authority of God over our lives. And the more we live in the light... The more we live in God's light, the more God's radiance 
and majesty is revealed to us. As we wade deeper into the waters of God's grace, the deeper and deeper we enter into an understanding of it and our need for it. Well, second point, purity. And again, with purity, it's not, don't just reduce this just to rule following. It's bigger than that. Purity begins with an understanding that you are created in the image of God. And through the sacrifice of Christ, God has washed away your sins. God has restored you to your original design and and purpose. Purity is a mindset that says, I have been made new in Christ. Why would I ever want to go back to that life of death? Why would I ever want to go back to that old self? I am a new creation in Christ. That life led to death, and all those desires were temporary and not truly satisfactory. Purity begins with an understanding that God loves you. And as we surrender ourselves to God's grace, we are transformed in God's grace by the cleansing of our hearts, the renewing of our minds, and the salvation of our souls. And again, in Paul's words in Ephesians 5, live as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul knows this is going to take some effort. Paul is not oblivious to that reality. Living in God's light means surrendering our will for the pursuit of God's will. It means allowing the Holy Spirit to to mold us and shape us, to, to prune off those things that are dead within us. It is a desire and a longing that seeks to answer the call that says, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. On our last point, our purpose. Living in the light of Christ means letting that light within us shine. As Jesus told his followers in Matthew 5, he told them, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus' message to his own disciples and to us is that we would share our light in this world. And we shine by sharing God's love in both word and deed. It doesn't matter what our occupation or position in life is, what our status in life is. It doesn't matter our gender, our race, our nationality. It doesn't matter our political leanings or demographics or geographical location or historical context. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your age young, old, anywhere in between, God calls you to action, to share the light of Christ. God calls us to live out the calling on our lives here and now, no matter what our context is. It's going out there, out of these doors, and saying, this little light of mine, how does that go? This little light of mine, what? There you go, let's do it one more time. This little light of mine, there you go, I had to make sure you're awake. Living in the light of Christ means what Paul says in Ephesians 5 when he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Not all that other stuff. That stuff doesn't fill you. Be filled with the Spirit of God. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making a melody to the Lord in your heart, 
giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our ultimate purpose is to share the love we have received from God. It is to live into the image that God created us to be and to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And as we do this, we represent God's light. We share God's light. We are self-giving, self-loving, or no, self-giving, love-giving, life-giving, and light-giving. We live in the light of Christ through a practice of piety, purity, and purpose. And I'll just note that these three things don't, are, they're not independent of one another, right? They should all overlap and work together harmoniously, meaning that our piety draws us to purity, which draws us to live out our purpose. It's, it's kind of cyclical. It all overlaps, and it's not exclusive but inclusive of one another. Well, friends, for once you were darkness, but now in the Lord... Now let us pray for the Spirit to illuminate God's Word for us this morning. Eternal God, you are the great author and perfecter of our faith. So may your wonderful truth speak to us and guide our lives. May your Word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path this morning. And stir within our hearts a deeper passion and desire for your Word. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Our sermon text this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do in secret or do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Sleeper, awake! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, last week we focused on the assurance of forgiveness that we have from God. Is my mic coming through really loudly? Can we either, hey Rodney, can we turn mine down just a little bit? Is that better? Okay, all right. Well, last week we focused on the assurance of forgiveness that we have from God. And basically my point was ultimately that, you know, the world doesn't guarantee us or assure us of very much. If anything, really, maybe except for, as Benjamin Franklin noted, death and taxes. But God assures us of eternity through his son, Jesus Christ, and that for us is everything. 
That assurance is rock solid. Nothing can jeopardize that. Nothing, as Paul says in Romans, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now as forgiven people, assured of God's forgiveness through Christ, we are led forward then into a new life in Christ, which is what we're going to focus on today. My sermon title today is Living in the Light of the Sun. We're going to look at the question, what does it mean to live in the light of the sun? And I know summertime is just around the corner. might feel like it's already here uh, some days. This is the humidity starting to crank up and uh, sun's coming out. But, you know, living life in the sun, S-U-N, means, well, putting on sunblock and going outside and trying not to sweat too much. But in this case, I mean living in the light of the sun, S-O-N. And to this point, as followers of Jesus, we ask, well, what does it mean to live in the light of God's Son? Well, first, I'll say right off the bat that I'm sure each and every person could good give an answer to that question. And I hope that you could. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, theologically deep or anything like that. But I hope that every one of us could say something about being a follower of Jesus that is unique to, well, being a follower of Jesus. And our new lives in Christ is what the Apostle Paul strives to explain in many of his letters. His letter to the Ephesians that we're going to look at today being no exception. And it may be one of the best examples of it. And it's really hard to take one of Paul's letters and pick up, you know, halfway through or towards the end. Because, again, he's writing a letter. He is following a flow of thought. He's building on it. You know, it's it's just this consistent stream of thought, just like if we were to write a letter. Paul doesn't start with a table of contents, and he says, okay, chapter one, this is the theme of this chapter, chapter two. None of us write letters like that, and I, or I hope you don't. If you write letters and you start with a table of contents, don't send that to a friend. Send that to a publisher, not a friend. Well, Paul, you know, he doesn't start with a table of contents. He's, he's writing a letter, and it's a flowing thought, so it's hard to pick up later in a letter without having some context of what comes before. And Paul normally when, or generally, he follows a a general pattern that he begins his letters with uh, a theological groundwork. He kind of lays some theological framework. And then in that, he explains the significance of the gospel, and then he moves to a practical application of the gospel. Basically, he says, okay, because of this, because of the gospel, so this. Like, this is how it meets our lives. And that's generally kind of how Paul frames up his letters. Starts with a theological exposition of the gospel and then ends with how it touches our lives, how it changes our lives, and how we are sent forward in that. And so in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, again, he starts with one of the greatest expositions of the gospel Um, There's so much I'd like to read here, but I'm not. I encourage you to, you know, put it on your reading list. Read Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, But this morning, I'm just going to pick up starting in chapter 2. And Paul reminds them in chapter 2 of how their lives have been transformed in a spiritual sense. He reminds them of their previous position. And then how God, through Jesus, has given them the gift of grace the gift of faith, the gift of mercy and forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life. 
Let's look at verses 3 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 2 uh, real quick. He writes, All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. I start here in Ephesians chapter 2 because I want you to notice how Paul describes our prior context, um, our previous position, um, in that we were by nature children of wrath. But now notice Paul's phrasing in our text today in in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. So he creates this dichotomy, in a sense, that, you know, where once we lived in darkness, now in Christ we are light. Where once we were children of wrath, now we are children of light. But let's dig more into what it means to be light. Because this is really a great theme that runs throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And to begin, let's start with talking about the light of God. God's presence is associated with light. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And in the Old Testament, God's presence is often associated with the light of fire. God was the torch that appeared to Abraham. God was, uh, appeared to Moses in the burning bush. God was the pillar of fire that led the Israelites out of Egypt. God was the fire on Mount Sinai. And in the New Testament, John in his epistles just puts it to the point. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Light represents God's presence and God's power, as well as God's purity and God's holiness. But it also represents God's peace and God's favor and God's blessing to his people. In Numbers 6, God gave these words to Moses to give to Aaron and the priest as a blessing to the people, where it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. God's blessing to the people is represented by light. The light of God's face shining on them, being gracious to them and giving them peace. It's kind of this happy, you know, warm, fuzzy, sunny day kind of feeling when all is well. Life is good. God is good. It's like what Psalm 4 says, There are many who say, Oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. Being in God's light is a place of blessing. However, the flip side of that is that God's wrath is often expressed as God hiding his face. God hiding his light, meaning he's withholding his blessing and favor if God was hiding the light of his face from his people, that meant that they were, they were in a sort of spiritual darkness. Deuteronomy 32, Moses said, Then he said, I will hide my face from them. 
I will see that what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. Job says, why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? David, even too, in Psalm 27, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. And the prophets pick up on this theme as well. Just one example from Ezekiel 39. God says, so I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries. There's, there's many other occurrences this all throughout the, the Old Testament, but I just kind of wanted to pick an example from each part of the Old Testament and to say that God shining the light of his face upon the Israelites was symbolic of God's presence with them, God's favor for them, and God's blessing to them. Well, there's no other greater represent, representative of God for us than Jesus Christ. So let's talk, briefly talk about the light of Christ. Jesus, too, was associated with this idea of light. And John really emphasizes this. Even in the first few lines of his gospel, he says, What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And even later, Jesus says of himself twice, that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And even as we noted last week in Hebrews, it begins saying, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory. That word reflection means radiance. It means brightness. It means light. Jesus is the light, the brightness, the radiance of God's glory in the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus is the light. And the third and last thing I'll note here, just to kind of complete the the Trinity, is the Spirit of God. The Word of God is light. The Holy Spirit is a light for us. The Holy Spirit guides us and lights us forward into the will of God. We believe that the Spirit illuminates God's truth for us. That's why before each sermon we begin with a prayer for illumination. That through God's Spirit, that the Spirit would illuminate God's Word for us, would imprint it upon our hearts and renew our minds, would change us through the Word, through the Spirit. God's Word is light for us. Proverbs 6.23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. Or the well-known Psalm 119.105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But there's one more thing that is the light. And that is those who have put their trust in Christ. It is the saints, God's holy ones, his royal priesthood, the church, you. If you have faith in Christ, God's light is in you. And it's important to note that that light isn't actually our light, as if we were manufacturing it or producing it. It's God's light in us. And that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. So live as children of light. You are the light, so live like it, he says. Live a life worthy of your status, of your calling in Christ. And Paul goes into more detail. In the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true Try to find out what pleases the Lord. 
Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Sleeper, awake. He's saying, wake up. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Rise and shine, you saints of the Lord. I want to offer three means of living in the light of Christ. Basically, three areas of focus for our lives of faith. And I kind of don't like that term, lives of faith, as if it's different from just our life. I mean, our life should be a life of faith, right? But thinking spiritually, thinking faithfully, I want to offer three means of living in the light of Christ. And that is piety, purity, and purpose. It's not a good sermon until you get a little alliteration in your sermon points. So, piety, purity, and purpose. First, piety. And I don't want you to reduce this to just rule following. As if, you know, it's just boiled down to just following some rules. By piety, I mean presenting yourself in an attitude of worship. It is showing reverence and honor before God, not just at church, not just today, not just on Sundays, but each and every day of your life. It is having that sincere, reverent love for God in God's presence. Piety is a posture. It's how we position ourselves. It is consciously living every single day for the glory of God. It is submitting ourselves to the rightful authority of God over our lives. And the more we live into God's light and our piety, the more God's radiance and majesty is revealed to us. As we wade deeper and deeper into the waters of grace, we go deeper and deeper and deeper into an understanding of God's grace for us and our need for God. The second point, purity. And again with this, don't just simply reduce this to rule following. It's bigger than that. Purity begins with an understanding and a knowledge that you were created in the image of God. And through the sacrifice of Christ, God has washed away your sins. God has restored you. Purity is the mindset that says, I've been made new in Christ. Why would I ever want to go back to that old life, to that old self, to that way that leads to death? That life led to death, and all those desires were temporary, and they never satisfied. Purity begins really with an understanding that God loves you. And as we surrender ourselves to grace, we are transformed by the cleansing of our hearts, the renewing of our minds, and the salvation of our souls. Again, in Paul's words in Ephesians 5, live as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Basically, Paul's saying it's going to take some effort. He's not oblivious to this reality. Living in God's light, it means surrendering our own will for the pursuit of God's will for us. It means allowing the Holy Spirit to mold us and to shape us. It is a desire and a longing that seeks to answer the call, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God wants holiness for us. And lastly, purpose. Living in the light of Christ means letting that light shine. As Jesus told his followers, you are the light of the world. 
A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus' message to his disciples and to us is that we would share our light into this world, which is the light of Christ. And we shine by sharing God's love in both word and deed and everything we do and in every place that we go. It doesn't matter what your occupation is, what your position in life is, what your status in life is. It doesn't matter your gender, race, or nationality, your political leanings, your demographics. It doesn't matter your geographic location, historical context. It doesn't matter your age, how young you are, how old you are. Anywhere in between, God calls you to action. And that action is to share the light of Christ. God calls us to live out the calling on our lives here and now, no matter our context, no matter our situation. It's going out there, out of these doors, and saying, you know what, this little light of mine, how does that end? Oh, wow, come on, we've got to try that again. This little light of mine... Nah, I'm still, nah, I'm not, not convinced yet. This little light of mine. Better, better. We're going to work on that. Just got to make sure you're awake. The 9 o'clock crew really brought it. The, I made them do it twice. They, they only had to do it twice. They, they brought it the second time. So, where was I? Uh, living in the light of Christ means doing what Paul says in Ephesians 5 when he says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with all that other junk. Be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and be subject to one another out of reverence, out of love and respect and honor for Christ. Our ultimate purpose is to share the love that we have received from God. It is to live into the image that God created us. It is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it is to represent God to this world. It is to be self-giving, love-giving, life-giving, and light-giving. We live in the light of Christ through our piety, our purity, and our purpose. And these three things, just kind of a last note, they're not independent of one another. You can't really separate these out. They all work together and they all overlap harmoniously. Meaning that our piety draws us to purity, which draws us to live out our purpose. They're not exclusive, they're, they're inclusive of one another. So I'll end with this. Friends, for once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. So live as children of the light. Amen. In this time of offering, I'll invite uh, Kristen to come forward. Let this be a time of offering yourself to God, to realize that God's light is in you, and to consider how you can share that light with others, especially as we leave these doors today.